Good morning. Wow, it's loud. Okay, so before movie companies uh, were careful about Swahili translations, this uh, movie group, they, they, uh, they just assumed that no one in the States would, would understand Swahili, so they didn't really bother. And uh, they made this movie. And a director needed an African messenger who was to gasp out a sentence to the big chief, collapsing as he delivered his message since he had run for days with his vital message. So they, they found a, an English person in the States who spoke Swahili, and they asked him, you know, just come up with some urgent-sounding message which he, he dutifully did, of course, and uh, uh, an American actor played the part, did really well, ran in, collapsed on the ground, gasping for air, and spoke out these words, and it was really dramatic, and went over really well until they went to uh, Nairobi. And in Nairobi, people speak Swahili. And... Uh, all went well in the movie until it came to uh, this part. And at that point, the drama was reduced to high comedy. Because what the uh, messenger actually said as he threw himself to the ground and gasped out his last words, what he said was, I don't think I'm getting paid enough money for this part. We, we have a huge battle on our hands right now. And I don't mean a battle for power or for money or for land. We have a battle for truth. Truth. And it, it doesn't happen out there. It happens in our minds. What am I going to accept as the truth? What am I going to hear and accept as the truth? And I want to start right back in uh, Genesis, which means I can't use the Passion Bible. Genesis 2. So right back in the beginning, and God had uh, made man, and he'd put him in the garden, I'm going to start verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now that is really clear. You know, here's God, and it isn't, I wonder, did God really say that? No, he's walking with Adam. And Adam is with him, and God is saying very clearly, you can eat from this tree and this tree and this tree and this tree, but not this one. Got it? Not this one. When you eat from this one, you'll die. Very clear. Okay, let's move from there to chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. 
And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Now, the woman wasn't there when God explained it to Adam, but Adam clearly, from what we're going to read, had told her, had made it clear to her, because she said, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God said, you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you mustn't touch it, or you will die. So she knew. You know, Adam had even added a little bit about not touching it. That's not what God said, but no big deal. He just wanted to make sure she got the message, don't touch that tree. She had the message. And here's the serpent. And the serpent says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Now, Adam had communicated with Eve. That is clear. She knew. Adam was also right there. You know, she took some and gave it to Adam. Not took some and... <laughs> took some, gave it to Adam. He was right there. It's interesting, too. You know, no one says that the fruit was ugly. No one says the fruit didn't look good. The fruit looked really good. The fruit was, it was very pleasing. It looked really good. And now she had this added information that it was going to make her like God. So she takes some and she eats it. And she gives some to her husband and he eats it. And what happened here? Eve believed a lie. It's as simple as that. Everything, all the mess in this world, it all started because Eve believed a lie. And because Adam didn't remind her of the truth. They were both in this together, you know. There's no way it's more one's fault than the other. Adam was right there. He didn't say, go away serpent, I know the truth. He didn't say to Eve, don't believe him. This is what God said. He just stood there. Let the serpent talk to Eve. And I, I, I wonder sometimes, you know, why did the serpent talk to Eve? I think the serpent talked to Eve because her knowledge was secondhand. So he thought it might be a little bit easier to get through to her. But Adam was right there. And what was it that the serpent promised? promised that they would become like God. Well, their eyes were opened. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And I, I often wonder, you know, why, why fig leaves? 
because apparently they are very, very uncomfortable on the skin. You can even have a, a horrible rash from fig leaves. I looked it up on the internet and I saw the rash and I thought, you know, they're not stupid, Adam and Eve. They've been tending things in the garden. Why would they pick fig leaves? And I think sometimes when we do something wrong and we know we've done it wrong, we want to punish ourselves. We feel guilty. We want to do something to, you know, if we feel bad, maybe that will make us feel better. Well, there were consequences. I'm not going to go over the consequences. I will just say in verse 21, it said, God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve. He didn't want them to feel bad that way. But there were consequences. And the truth is, when you believe a lie, you empower the liar. When you believe a lie, you empower the liar. And agreeing with the devil empowers him. John 10.10 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Whereas Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Who are we going to give power to? The one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy? Or the one who wants to give life? And when Adam and Eve agreed with the devil, they denied God's truth. And it seems almost like cutting off the branch that you're sitting on. It just seems so ridiculous. They abandoned God's perspective for a distortion. Romans 1, 18 to 20, and I am going to read this from the Passion. I love this book. I've been reading through Romans. Actually, I'm sorry, I'm, I haven't. I got stuck. I've been reading Romans 8 every day for the last week. So good. But what am I looking for? Romans 1, 18 to 20. For God in heaven unveils his holy anger, breaking forth against every form of sin, both toward ungodliness that lives in hearts and evil actions. You know, that's, I, I, keep, I go back and I read that. Both towards ungodliness that lives in hearts and evil actions. You know what he's saying? He's saying it's not just when you do bad things. It's not just doing bad things. It's thinking bad things. God is concerned what you think about. You think negatively. You're not thinking God's thoughts. And here he's talking about ungodliness that lives in hearts and evil actions. For the wickedness of humanity deliberately smothers the truth. The wickedness of humanity deliberately smothers the truth and keeps people from acknowledging the truth about God. In reality, the truth of God is known instinctively, for God has embedded this knowledge inside every human heart. 
opposition to truth cannot be excused on the basis of ignorance, because from the creation of the world, the invisible qualities of God's nature have been made visible, such as his eternal power and transcendence. He has made his wonderful attributes easily perceived. For seeing the visible makes us understand the invisible. So then this leaves everyone without excuse. Ever wondered what it was like for Adam and Eve in the garden before they fell? I wondered about it. I mean, just think. No sin, no shame, no anger, no violence, and best of all, perfect fellowship with God. Perfect fellowship with God. They had access to the wonderful truth of God contained in his creation. They had access to that. They had God's perspective on reality. And they had access to what God was planning for history or for the future at that point. And they gave it all up because they believed a lie. They lost all that because they believed a lie. Well, through the power of the cross, sin is broken and we need to relearn the truth that was lost to Adam and Eve. We need to relearn that truth and we need to re-understand what is God's plan for history. What is it that God wants to do? And what is it that God wants to do through us? Romans 5, I, I wrote this one out. Again, from the Passion. No, not from the Passion, the NIV. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him. I love that word. We were reconciled to him. We're not outsiders anymore. We have been reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received our reconciliation. We were, we were God's enemies. We were God's enemies. And then, not because of anything good about us, Jesus died for us. And we are now reconciled to God. In the Passion, that same passage, I wrote it out from the Passion. And there's still so much more to say of his unfailing love for us. But through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration. You are now righteous in my sight. Through the blood of Jesus, we have that powerful, powerful declaration. You are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. So if while we were still enemies, 
God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship, something greater than friendship is ours. Something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we're at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will we be saved from sin's dominion? And because of this, because of this, God can now accomplish his original plan. The one that he had with uh, Adam and Eve and they blew because they chose to believe a lie. Now, I, I, I really like Bill Johnson, and I've got one of his quotes here. Most believers understand that God has forgiven them of sin, but many haven't entered into the purpose of that forgiveness. We understand that we've been forgiven, but we've been forgiven for a reason. Not so we can sit at home and drink our iced tea and eat cookies, although there's nothing wrong with that. But God has so much more he wants to do in us and through us. And of course, the question remains. I, I ask this question often. You know, why is it God made possible this relationship with the Father? And we're supposed to do greater works. I, I refer often when I'm praying, John 14, 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater than these because I'm going to the Father. So why don't we see the church walking in that today? I think in part because we're not walking in the truth. We are not walking in the truth of who we are. Now, I was in, perhaps it feels like an eternity ago, but I was in Antigua where the sun shines every day. The, the temperature really doesn't change much, they informed us. Every, all through the year, it's the same wonderful temperature. So I was in Antigua, and I would walk up and down the beach, and there weren't too many people on the beach because it was not the popular time of year. They, t they told us that uh, the popular time is November through to May when it's cold in Canada. So. That's when it gets more expensive. So it wasn't too expensive. We were there in October, and I walked up and down the beach, up and down the beach, praying and uh, listening to the Lord. Now, I, I think I might have mentioned before, my listening to the Lord radically changed when I read a book called Questions for Jesus. Uh, it's by Tony someone or other, a foreign name that I can never remember, but if you go on Amazon and say questions for Jesus and Tony, you'll get the book. This book so radically helped me because it used to me, my, my relationship with the Lord is um, I'd ask God questions. Mostly I'd ask God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to give money to this person? Do you want me to go here on missions? Do you want me to do this? What should I do? God, how should I help this person? And, and it was almost, you know, uh, a servant mentality. But I loved being, I mean, who wouldn't love being a servant of God? I'm not putting that down. It was, it's wonderful to be a servant of God. But I really often didn't feel like a friend. 
because I felt like my relationship was based on being obedient and doing what pleased God. And this book really helped me to, to ask some different questions. And uh, I, I've learned to ask those questions, and I've learned to spend time with God just hanging with God and listening to him. So I spent hour after hour on the beach, and it really isn't difficult. You know, it's not like being stuck in your room praying. Hour after hour, walking up and down the beach, just talking to the Lord. And uh, this is what he said to me. If I can find it, I know I was on here somewhere. Oh, here it is. I am with you. You are strong. You are powerful. You have authority to move mountains. I am with you. You are strong. I am with you. I am with you. Not a word of direction. Not a word of what I should do. Nothing along those lines, just God telling me. And the, the one phrase, and I read it out several times, but God spoke it to me over and over again. I am with you. And it's like, wow. And, well, I'm not surprised you're with me. I'm in Antigua. <laughs> but God's still with me. He, he reminded me again this morning. He's with me. He is with me. I am powerful. He is with me. Now, I, I really love... The Bible. I mean, I really, really love the Bible. And I have read it and read it and read it again and read it again. And so whenever God speaks to me, I always think, okay, well, where's that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? And uh, the first one, I am with you. I am with you. Gideon. Judges chapter 6. I love this story. Read it, read it, read it. Love it. So just to give a bit of background, Judges 6. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. I mean, they were having a hard time. Verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They just could not get things together. They plant crops, and the Badites would come and, and take it. And uh, they, they were in such a desperate shape, they actually called on God. Verse 6, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. You know, this is after several years of uh, ignoring God and moving on, doing their own thing, didn't need God. But things just got so bad for them that they actually called out to God for help. I, I have a friend, she told me she was in a meeting of Christians one time recently, and she said, oh, praise God for Justin Trudeau. And everyone looked at her, and there was this deathly hush, and sort of, doesn't she know what he's done for Christians, or not done, or whatever? 
And then she explained herself. She said, well, I, I run several uh, intercession groups. And because of Justine Tru Justin Trudeau, a lot more people are praying now. <laughs> so the Israelites, they started praying. Everything was uh, going wrong for them, so they started praying. Then we have verse 8. Uh, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord, that was verse 7, because of the Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and I gave you the, your, their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live but you haven't listened to me. So the first thing God does is he tells them off. But he doesn't just say, oh, you've been jerks, forget about it. I don't care about you anymore. Of course he cares about them. And we go down to verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the something or right, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So here's a guy, and he is doing something that's very wise. He's not openly threshing his wheat because he knows if he does that, that he'll lose it. You know, the Midianites will come and they'll take it. So he is in a wine press, hiding, hoping that no one will see him threshing his wheat. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and he said, the Lord is with you. There's, my, there's the, the connection that I had. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, any one of us, if we had seen Gideon threshing wheat in the wine press, we would not have said, mighty warrior. We may have said, well, that, that's a wise thing to do because it's safer and you might get to keep it. But we wouldn't say mighty warrior. And these are the words <coughs> that the Lord spoke to me. I am with you. And I, I believe there are people here this morning as well that God wants to say, mighty warrior. You know, and when God says it, this is what you're doing. Who's he talking to? Not me. It must be the person behind me. Because you don't see it. We don't see it. But God sees it. God sees things in you that you don't see, that we don't see, that God wants to bring forth. So... The Lord says, I'm strong. Am I going to believe him? Gideon wasn't so sure. But uh, what does God say to him? Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's land. Am I not sending you? And the verse 16, I will be with you. 
I'm sending you. I will be with you. And God is speaking to some of you and saying, you are a mighty warrior. You need to receive it. Oh, beautiful. Peppermint tea. Love it. And uh, then I think of another verse. You know, I, I, God speaks to me and says, I am with you. And, and I think, well, I know another story. I know another story where that happens. Joshua. So here's Joshua, and he is replacing Moses. Not something I'd want to do. I mean, wow, Moses, he was something else. But Joshua is replacing Moses. So reading from Joshua 1, 1 to 3, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. And then... Going down to verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God will be with you. Be strong and courageous because God will be with you. And it's interesting. You read this scripture. This is the first chapter of Joshua. And you see what's going to help Joshua be strong and courageous. And what it talks about here is the law of the Lord. And it says, um, keep this book always on your lips. So not just up here, here, on your lips. Speak it, meditate on it, speak about it, ruminate, think on it, go over and over and over again. Think on it, meditate on it day and night. You know, so often we can spend three hours watching TV and then 10 minutes reading the Word. So what's likely to be foremost in our minds? And it's so easy then for our minds to slip into the natural ways of thinking and for our faith to erode quietly, gently, and we don't notice it's happening. And we have a practical mindset 
instead of a kingdom mindset. We need to be in God's word. We need to be reminding ourselves of his promises. You know, when Garland spoke last week about healing, first thing he talked about was the word. Talked about stories of Jesus healing people. These are wonderful stories. If we're looking for healing, then go to the Gospels. Read about what Jesus did. Picture yourself there. Picture yourself going to Jesus. Believe that this is what Jesus wants for you. And let me say, meditation is not about emptying your mind. In this instance, it's about filling your mind. Filling your mind with the Word of God, with truth. You know, and we're, we're all really good at it. We are all really good at worrying. I know I do it. Something happens at work, and I go over it and over it and over it. I'm meditating on it. Silly, but I do. Well, so I know how to meditate. I need to find the scripture, meditate on the scripture. Here's a good one. Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose mind are steadfast because they trust in you. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Now, I, I, I've had a few things go wrong in my family recently. And one of the things I like to do is I write myself a mantra. And by mantra, it's just a phrase that I will repeat over and over. And uh, the one recently that I've been using over and over and over is simply, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. And every time I start, I'm tempted to worry again about what's happening. I trust you. I trust you. And perfect peace means divine health, prosperity, wellness of being, soundness of mind. And being steadfast means immovable. You're stuck in one place. And if that one place is the truth, the goodness of God, and when we worry, it's like we become unfixed. We're not steadfast. We're moving. And then if we do pray, we pray out of fear, not a trust. Oh, God, please help my daughter. Oh, God, please, please, she really needs... And I'm praying out of fear. I'm not praying out of trust, believing and trusting God that he's going to help. The world, I can guarantee, will not be kind to you. You know, you're not young enough, you're not beautiful enough, you're not old enough, you're not strong enough, you're not intelligent enough, you're not fast enough. That's not what you should be listening to. We need to listen to the Father, the Spirit. We need to listen to what he says, you know, one of the questions I ask him quite often, what do you like about me? What have I done that's good today? And uh, I like to move when, with the music. 
I wouldn't even call it dancing. I just like to move. That's me. I like to move. I do it at home more than I do here. But I do do it here because the music moves me. And my father likes it. I, I have no expectation uh, of other people liking it. I'm not doing it for other people. But my father likes it. He likes that I do it. He likes that I feel free to do it. It is, it is so nice asking God, what does he like about you? Because there are so many things, so many things. Uh, the other thing, and I just want to throw this out, is it's so important that we don't meditate on our mistakes. So easy to do. I, I love the story. I think I shared it last time about Sarah. In Genesis 18, 12 to 15, it tells us that Sarah laughed in unbelief when the angel was telling Abraham that she was going to have a baby. And it's like, <laughs> she laughed. But then in Hebrews, it says, Sarah considered him faithful who made the promise because God remembered differently. And when we've done something wrong, bring it to the cross, bring it to Jesus, dealt with. God forgets. God remembers it differently. So then don't bring it up again. And, and actually, I know someone who would love to bring it up again. And when he does, tell him, no, thank you. I'm forgiven. That's past. It's done with. And move on and meditate on the truth. You know, these are such exciting times. God is, is moving amongst us. Uh, but sometimes it can also be discouraging. When we were in uh, Antigua, Mike and I were praying together, and uh, I just got upset. And Mike said, oh, what's the problem? Why are you upset? We're praying together. And I said, because when we get home, we won't. I, I, I don't know what other couples are like, but we have always been like this. We'll pray together, we'll pray together. And we forget, and we forget, and, we f and we'll pray together, and we'll pray together. And uh, I came up with, well, I think it was the Lord, this brilliant idea. And I'm going to share it because it's working so well for us. We pray together for 10 minutes. Actually, we increased it for 12 because we keep running out of time. But I time it. I actually put the timer on. And we pray together for 12 minutes. And when the timer goes, if someone's praying, they're allowed to finish. But that's it. And we're going to stop. And it has so encouraged us because we're doing it every day. Whereas it used to be we'd do it one day and then forget. And then we'd do it two days and forget two days. And, but now we are praying together every day. And... Uh, and we expected everything to go right after that, and it didn't. So then we focused on giving thanks for things that were right, which was easy, because there's so many. And we focused on worship. And we are really, really enjoying it, because we are being consistent and spending that time 
And it's not scary thinking, I've got all this marking to do, I can't pray with you. Well, I can, because it's only 12 minutes. I'm going to read Psalm 100. Lift up a great shout of joy to the Lord. <coughs> Go ahead and do it, everyone, everywhere. As you serve him, be glad and worship him. Sing your way into his presence with joy and realize what this really means. We have the privilege of worshiping the Lord our God, for he is our creator and we belong to him. We are the people of his pleasure. You can pass through his open gates with the password of praise. Come right into his presence with thanksgiving. Come bring your thank offering to him and affectionately bless his beautiful name. For the Lord is always good and ready to receive you. He's so loving that it will amaze you, so kind that it will astound you. And he is famous for his faithfulness toward all. Everyone knows our God can be trusted, for he keeps his promise to every generation. I, I had this picture, I was praying the other day, and in front of me was a pile of dirt. And when I say dirt, I, I don't mean manure, horrible, horrible dirt. It, it, it was healthy dirt. It was just a pile of dirt. You know, I may have been saving it to put on my garden, but there was this pile of dirt. It, it was actually the things that I'm struggling with at this time in my, my family. And I can focus on that dirt. But then I see something, <coughs> something behind it, and it's bright and beautiful and shining. And I look beyond the dirt, and I see the glory of the Lord, and I worship him, and I give thanks to him, and I enjoy him. And, and I realize the dirt's gone out of focus. I can't see it anymore. You know, when you take a picture, you either focus on something far away and what's in front, you can't see because it's all blurry, or you focus on what's in front of you and you can't see what's behind because it's all blurry. And the Lord was encouraging me, look at what's behind. That's where the Lord is. Beautiful, beautiful. So I, I want to finish... I would like us, like us all to make a declaration. If we could all stand, please, I, I would. Uh, and this is, this is very simple, but these are things that I often repeat to myself and to anyone else who wants to listen. So I'm going to say it first, and then I want you to say it. I am loved by God. Say it again. God is pleased with me. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Amen. Thank you.